So many questions when it comes to the 121st big game, but I have one question over all the others. How is Cal going to score? That's what we're going to start on this edition of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on Thursday, November 29th, 2018. It's big game week again as we get to preview Stanford versus Cal again. Thank you for joining us here uh, on the TreeCast. I'm in Detroit, Clarity. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for following me on Twitter at Troy Clarity. Thank you for subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Certainly appreciate all of you who have done those things. I also appreciate our guests coming up. Stanford linebacker and senior Joey Alfieri. We're going to chat with him, get his thoughts on the Stanford defensive efforts of late, about how it felt for him to get back on the field against UCLA last week and uh, what Stanford Cal means to him. Joey Alfieri coming up in a few minutes and also going to be joined later on in the show by by one of my favorite people to talk ball with. You see him on the Pac-12 Network and on Fox Sports as well. Evan Moore, the former Stanford wide receiver, has become one of the better analysts, if not one of the best analysts, I think, in all of college football broadcasting. And I definitely am looking forward to picking Evan Moore's brain on the Cardinal, how things have shaken out for Stanford uh, this season. And uh, some other things to watch is uh, we do have a Pac-12 championship game to talk about and break down as well as that happens on Friday evening. But, of course, top of mind around here on the TreeCast is the big game, which is coming up. Yes, they're actually going to play it this Saturday. It was supposed to be played on November the 17th, but obviously due to the air quality from the uh, fires up in Butte County that were just choking the Bay Area uh, that week, um, the authorities and the officials at Cal and the Pac-12 and Stanford, I'm sure, had a hand in it as well, uh, decided to move things and postpone things a couple week, a couple weeks. And uh, here we are, December 1st, the 121st big game. So finally, <laughs> finally, we're here as uh, we get to redo Big game week all over again. And, and my, my, my big question about all this right now, I mean, I, I have several, of course. You, you have to have questions when it comes into, into every game week for Stanford and, and certainly when it comes to, comes to big game. But my, my overall overriding big question for this game is how is Cal going to score? How are the Bears going to get in the end zone? Cal is is last in the Pac-12 in points per game. They're last in the conference in third downs converted. They went one for 17 against Colorado on third down last week. And they still won that one handily. Helps when you go plus five in the turnover margin. And the Bears are also last in the conference in red zone touchdown percentage. Look, scoring in the red zone is nice. Getting touchdowns in the red zone is much, much better. And when it comes to that, Cal dead last. Only scoring touchdowns 50% of the time whenever they get in the opponent's red zone. 50%. That is no bueno. No bueno. Now, there are things that I do like about the California offense. We talked about them a couple weeks ago during big game Week part one, Patrick Laird, their fine running back, number 28, uh, versatile weapon for them. 
I, I, I like Laird. I like how they use big number 99 Malik McMorris as a fullback slash tight end. Talked to David Shaw about him earlier in the week, and, and Shaw reminded me that McMorris had a nice little catch and run in last year's big game in which no one really wanted to get in the big man's way. Dude weighs 290 pounds, and he had the football. I, I don't quite blame folks for making a business decision on that play. So there are some things that I do like about the Cal offense, but I just don't know how at this point, at this point, as I say this, I just don't know how Cal is going to get points consistently. Then again, I also kind of felt this way last week, too, when we were looking at a UCLA Bruins offense that at that point in the season was 11th in the league in scoring before they played Stanford last week. Then they dropped 42 on the Cardinal at the Rose Bowl last Saturday. And, and, and much of it with ease, with big plays, especially you know, a stretch throughout much of the second and third quarters where, where the Bruins were just unstoppable and where Wilton Spade threw for 209 yards in the fourth quarter alone. Still wasn't enough as Stanford was able to get the 49-42 win, but, but man, UCLA looked by far more potent against Stanford than they had at any point in the season until last Saturday. So UCLA was 11th in the league in scoring last week. Oh, by the way, Stanford has no inside linebackers. None. I mean, yeah, they've got, they've got Bobby Okariki and Sean Barton, but Mustafa Branch and Andrew Pritz are both out of this game. Matter of fact, Stanford, Stanford's too deep. At the inside linebacker position, isn't it too deep at all? It's a one deep. Okariki and Barton are the only guys listed at those respective positions. No one else is behind them. So that means Ryan Beecher might get some playing time. Quality playing time, not just, not just in garbage time, but, but quality playing time this week. That means uh, Ricky Miazon, number 45 might get some quality playing time as well without Mustafa Branch and without Andrew Pritz in the fold for this week against Cal. No no inside linebackers for for Stanford this week. Secondary won't have all hands on deck either. Elijah Holder will miss the first half after being called for targeting in the final minute against UCLA last week. So Obi Ebo will probably get a lot of time in Holderstead. Ebo actually, you know, David Shaw went out of his way to compliment Ebo's efforts defensively against the Bruins last week. But still the secondary won't have all hands on deck. I'm not necessarily concerned with Stanford cracking Cal's defense. Not necessarily, because I think I think Stanford has far and away enough weapons to keep anyone on their toes. Even the Cal defense that has been playing at a very high level of late. As long as Stanford does what it needs to do and cuts out the, the silly mistakes, the bad turnovers, and the bad penalties that have, that, have, that, have, that have stifled the Cardinal offense, sometimes at critical points in the season and in individual games. But still, I'm not necessarily concerned about Stanford finding a way to get in the end zone against Cal. I'm not... Maybe not quite as concerned about that as, as perhaps I should be. 
But if the Bears suddenly start finding ways against a very, very thin Stanford defense, haven't even mentioned Dylan Jackson, he's, he's a no-go for the Stanford defensive line. So Dylan Wade looks like he's going to head from the nose guard spot and play outside. But So if the Bears start finding ways against a Stanford squad that that is is in full-on next-man-up mode, whomever it might be. Can someone call Chris Draft? <laughs> what's, what's he doing for excitement these days? Then brace yourself. Brace yourself, because things could, could get very interesting very quickly. I don't know how Cal's going to score, but with the Stanford defensive personnel being in the shape that it's in, I'm not putting it past the Bears to somehow discover a scoring touch. I hope I'm wrong. I just have a funny, funny feeling. But we'll see. We'll see. That's that's part of the of the allure of big game. Just when you think you know what you're going to see and what you're going to find, the exact opposite happens. <laughs> it's happened so many times in big game, especially in Berkeley, when you walk out of that building and you're scratching your head going, wow, what, what was that? Holy smokes, both for good and for not so good. One of the young men who will be tasked with keeping the Stanford defense together is a guy who has also missed some playing time, but was it was good to see him back out on the field last week against the UCLA Bruins. Joey Alfieri, who has been an impact player for the Cardinal defense over the past few years, and he, is, he has put together some, some fine performances Alfieri playing at a quite high level before before his upper body injury kind of kind of sidetracked things a little bit. Enjoy watching. I enjoy watching Joey Alfieri play. Looking forward to seeing what contributions he can make against the Bears this time around. After Wednesday's practice on a misty, light, rainy evening on the farm, I caught up with the senior linebacker from Portland, Oregon. Joey Alfieri. All right, Joey, let's start here with your thoughts on last week's result at UCLA, 49-42, the final first. Good to see you back on on the field. Overall, your thoughts on how things went at the Rose Bowl last week? I thought it was good. You know, I mean, every every game is going to not really go according to plan. You know, you're going to have to react to some adversity. I thought we responded well uh, to a few key plays that didn't really go our way. So I like the way we responded as an offense, as a defense, and as a, as a special teams unit. So overall, I mean, the most important thing is coming out with the win, and that's what we did. Yeah, high-scoring team, high-scoring games are a lot of fun for fans, pretty entertaining for us in the media. What's it like for defensive players when you look up and the scoreboard just keeps going up and up and up and up? Right. I, I mean, that's never ideal as a defense. You know, we, we would like to pride ourselves on being a stout defense. So um, in, in those kind of cases, you know, those kind of games, you just got to try and anchor down. And um, in those games, takeaways especially become important. You know, I think the stat, I mean, on the season, any game when we have at least one takeaway, we're undefeated. So if we can get the ball out any way possible, especially on those high scoring games, we can make a significant impact. Takeaway is certainly a big uh, key, especially in the third quarter, to help stymie the Bruins and really prevent them from, uh, from, from, from getting the better of Stanford on the scoreboard last week. Uh, overall, grand scheme of things, this season for you, obviously the, the injuries kind of derailed things a little bit. You were playing at a super high level before, trying to get back into form, it seems, the, late, the latter part of the season. Uh, how would you sum up some of how things have gone for you so far this year? Yeah, I mean, they're good. I mean, yeah, everyone gets a little banged up as the season goes on. Uh, 
unfortunately missed a couple of games, but it feels great to be back out there, be back out there with my brothers and, uh, you know, just competing every day to get a win. Um, I mean, I'm happy with how the way this season's going. You know, it's my last college career, so I just want to make the most of every game. Yeah, uh, what, what, what sort of things uh, have, you, have you tried to improve on as the course of the season has gone along, and what sort of things do you want to try to, uh, try to, try to leave out on a, on a high note on for the, for, the, for the season? Yeah, you know, I just want to play hard every single play, you know. Um, it's something we, we pride ourselves on is just giving 100% effort every play. And, uh, you know, as an outside linebacker, there, there are certain – you got to be a versatile athlete. You got to be, you know, be able to do multiple things: cover, pass, you know, set the edge in the run. Um, I think I, I, you know, I've improved on my pass rush. You know, it's always something I can get better at for sure. Um, but I'm happy with the progress I've made so far, and there's still room for improvement. You, you and Casey on the outside really helped set the uh, help set the standard. But Jordan Fox and uh, Gabe Reed have also played extremely well uh, when they've had the opportunities. Uh, your thoughts on how they've done so far? Yeah, I, I love the way that those guys play. You know, ever since you know, even in fall camp, you know, you can see flashes of them showing really really nice athleticism and playmaking ability. Um, it was tough, you know, going down with injury, but, you know, I wasn't really concerned at all. You know, I knew those guys would step up and do a great job, and that's exactly what they've done. What's been your favorite moment so far this season? Um, shoot, I would say, I mean, that Oregon win was pretty nice. I got to say, <laughs> it was pretty nice to go down there and get a win, so I got to go with that one. Um, just to, to respond to, you know, such a deficit and come back as a team and win was a great feeling. And of course, you being the, the Beaver State resident yourself, obviously, I'm sure that had a little extra, little extra impetus. Although I'm kind of surprised you didn't see watching your, uh, didn't say watching your brother uh, here against Oregon <laughs> State play, get, get some snaps. Yeah, that was actually for sure the highlight. I, there you that, go. I like that. Watching my younger brother walk on, redshirt freshman, get playing time, get some carries. Had a little fake flea flicker against mm-hmm. us. Had a had a tackle on special teams. I uh, had a few carries, so it was awesome seeing that guy. You know, he he went to open tryouts last winter. Or last December, I want to say, made the team. Just been working his way up the, the totem pole ever since. So it's awesome seeing him get the recognition he finally deserves. Now, now is he like, all right, big brother, I'm finally in the show? What, what was that moment like? Yeah, he was excited. I mean, he's always been a pretty level-headed guy, so he doesn't. I mean, he just loves playing ball. He just, I mean, he was hoping that I would be out there. He, he so he would be able to, you know, block me on punt return when I was on punt. I think they had some plans in there for that if I was going to be in there. But he was just excited to be out there. He, you know, he's been away from from live football games for a while. So he's just excited to be out there back in the field playing for sure. Let's talk about Cal. Finally, big game is here. We get a second uh, go around here at big game week. So everything we did a couple weeks ago, we get to do it all over again this week. Um, you're no stranger. I mean, this will be your fourth big game played in. So that makes you an expert on this subject. Uh, what does big game, what does this week mean to you? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 our biggest rival. You know, every year it's 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 you know, a great competition, a great matchup. And, you know, it's, it's a really, it's a, it's an emotional game on both sides. You know, both guys, want, both teams want to be, you know, the Kings of the Bay. So it's key for us, you know, keep, keep the emotions, you know, at an even keel and, you know, not, not get, you know, overshadowed by the moment and just be able to go out there and play. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a good matchup. Cal's been a much more physical team this year than they have been in the past, which is impressive. And it's, it's always good playing physical football, getting away from the normal Pac-12. Uh, <laughs> Throw the ball around offense, so it's good to be able to butt some heads every once in a while. Yeah, your initial thoughts on the Bears offensively? Yeah, I think they've got some great players. They got, you know, returning O line, pretty veteran O lineman um, uh, for the most part. Um, good physical guys, physical bunch. That's something they pride themselves on for sure. Quarterback's a good player. I, I really like the way their running back plays. Twenty-eight. Um, he he had some good flashes. He had a good stiff arm on me last year. Um, I won't play, but he's a hard runner and. Uh, 
99, they're big fullbacks, always, always fun to watch, so it'll be exciting to go up against him as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I really enjoy watching McMorris play because he's just such a big guy, but so athletic and can do so many different things. Um, Berkeley's different, let's face it, especially when you're wearing Stanford red and especially when you're walking into that stadium. What sort of extra variables kind of get thrown at you when you're playing over in Berkeley? Yeah, I mean, anytime you're going into a hostile environment, it's going to... There's going to be external factors, whether it's the crowd, the crowd noise, or just just the emotions from the other team, or or whatever kind of talk goes on during the week. It's just there's always something like that that's going to come out, come into play. So you just got to be ready for that. Expect that. Expect things to not really go according to plan as the game goes on, and be able to respond to, you know, some hectic moments in the game. Your overall key to victory against the Bears. Physicality. I thought it was just, just, just got out physical. I'm on offense, defense, special teams because the team that wants it the most is going to play the most physical, and that's the team that usually wins the game. Have you held the axe yet? I haven't, actually. No, I didn't last year. Gotta I changed gotta, that. I know. I got I to gotta get my hands on it at some point, so hopefully this is the week to do it. Oh, this will be a fantastic week to get it done. Joey, always a pleasure watching you play. Uh, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. Best of luck this week against Callen in the bowl game. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Good stuff with Joey Alfieri. Appreciate him taking out the time to join us here on the TreeCast. Interesting. He's he's never held the axe. And and I, I don't know whether whether it's a thing where only the seniors can hold the axe. Probably is. Makes sense. So I I don't know if it's if it's a set rule or an unwritten rule, depending upon how you want to look at it, where only the seniors can touch the axe. David Shaw was asked about this a couple weeks ago about whether he's held the axe before. And he said, yeah, it's heavy, man. (laughs) That, that, That trophy's heavy. Then again, given the history of that trophy and the history of the axe, probably a good idea to make it as heavy as possible. (laughs) Not quite, and not, and not to make it, make it very portable. I understand that completely. I get it. But Joey Alfieri has never held the X. Hopefully he gets a chance to do just that this week. And, 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 and look, the outside linebackers, we talked about my concerns with the inside linebackers. But the outside linebackers this year, overall, I think, perhaps, probably the, the most consistent personnel grouping on the Stanford defense this year. Despite the turnover, despite the fact that it hasn't been Alfieri and Tuhill with the horses share and the bulk of the snaps this year defensively, because both of those guys have been in and out of the lineup with injury. But as we talked about with Joey, Gabe Reed doing quite well. Jordan Fox doing quite well too. So outside linebackers and, and, and David Shaw has, has mentioned this throughout the season. He's, he's been happy with the outside rush for the most part, for much of the season. He hasn't had too many quarrels with what those four guys, Alfieri, Tuhill, Reed, and Fox, how they have contributed to the Stanford defensive effort so far this season. Those efforts will be counted on once again this Saturday at noon in Berkeley as we get set for another edition of the big game. And there are a few people to talk about Stanford football and Pac-12 football as a whole with, then one of my favorite guys to catch up with on the show, I try to make it a yearly occurrence to visit with him. You see him on the Pac-12 network. Last week, he was on FS1 calling the holy war between BYU and Utah. I'm sure that was a lot of fun. Pleasure to welcome into the TreeCast once again, my man, former Stanford wide receiver 
Evan Moore. Evan, thanks a bunch. Always appreciate the time. How you doing today? I'm good, Troy. That's that's a heck of an introduction right there, too, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you know, you you make the effort to come on the program. We try to make we try to make everyone feel at home here on the oh, show. Oh man, that, well, there's nothing more. I'd love to come on and, and talk some ball. Trust me, I'm no no one's too busy to come on and talk a little ball. So there we go. Good. There we go. Well, let's let's start here. You, you and I did the, the did the Stanford football spring game for the Pac-12 Network back in April, and and, and and dangerous to come away from a spring game with with grand generalizations of how things are going to go in the fall. I, I realize that. That being said, how has Stanford's season matched up with some of the expectations you might have had of some things that, that, that we might see during the fall based on what we saw during the spring? You know, Troy, that's a great question because I, I think their success early on in the season, especially, you know, obviously getting away with a win uh, up at Autzen against the Ducks, I think that kind of inflated our expectations. Um, it, I, I guess it kind of recalibrated our expectations and inflated them as far as what it meant for the rest of the year. Because I go back to, you know, like you said, when we did their game in the spring and we talked about some issues that we expected them to have defensively, especially in the front seven. You know, their best player last year was Harrison Phillips, like without question. The guy had over 100 tackles and led him in sacks. And for a nose tackle to do that is, is remarkable. And I didn't necessarily see, even though there is some talent, you know, in the front seven at linebacker and whatnot, I didn't see uh, that, that, that one player that would really replace him in his production. And not to mention, you know, last year they kind of struggled against the run anyways. They allowed about 170 yards a game mm-hmm. on the ground, and that was trending towards being a real issue for that defense, not something we had seen uh, in quite some time, you know, under Lance Anderson. So that, to me, w- was always an issue, and it's, become, it's remained an issue o- over the course of the season, just consistently stopping the run and holding up on defense. Um, I expected them to have a good passing game, you know, with, with K.J. Costello and those big weapons on the outside. Those guys don't need much space to make plays. Now, the downside is you don't always see a lot of separation, and I can relate to that as a former big receiver. It's not, <laughs> it's not a strength of, of guys like me or guys that, that play there now to, to get a ton of separation, but they can make plays with guys draped all over them, and it's, it's resulted in, in a lot of big plays um, over the course of the year. Now, the, the surprising thing has been just the inability to consistently get the run game established. I don't, I don't think we, any of us around Stanford expected that this year. Um, some of it is you know, injury and, and moving guys around. Some of the offensive line was in flux this year, especially at the guard positions and, and at the center position at times. Um, but that's not something that we expected. And I think the, the departure, obviously, of Daniel Marks was a big deal. I don't think they were as, as fullback heavy. Um, this year, and mainly because they wanted to spread it out and, and, and throw the ball around a little bit. And then, secondly, you, you can't ignore the fact that, that Mike Bloomberg is not there anymore. I, you know, I know that Kevin Carberry is highly thought of, and but you know that Mike Bloomberg has been a staple of that offense and and, and their identity and what they've been able to do um, for the la- for the last you know seven eight years. And for him not to be there, um, no slight to anybody else that's there now, but that matters. You know, they're hearing a different message. They're being coached a little bit differently, and and I I, ha- I have to believe that that's played a role. So. Um, in sum, to, to, to get back to your main question, you know, I think our based off early success um, against SC and Oregon, I think our expectations were, oh, well, wait a second here. This, this team could be a contender. And I think they've fallen kind of into the place that, that I originally expected them to be this year. They've had some moments, but the inconsistently, especially on defense and running the ball, has held them back from really being a contender, not only nationally, but in this conference. Yeah, yeah, kind of along those lines, and, and you talked about the struggles with the offensive line, and, and perhaps no one has felt has, has felt the brunt of that more than, than Bryce Love, the Heisman yeah. candidate at the start of the season, and now uh, obviously things haven't gone the way that many people thought it might for him. How would you characterize Bryce Love's season this year? 
Um, you know, I, I don't want to go as far to say it's a disappointment. Obviously, if you just look statistically relative to what he did last year, and he was banged up again this year at times, like, yeah, that's disappointing. But the, the biggest difference I noticed with Bryce this year, and, you know, I have a ton of respect for the way he plays, and he's a tough runner. Um, but last year, time and time again, you know, he was able to get to full speed and get three or four yards down the field before he made his first cut. And when he's doing that, he's unstoppable because he's strong enough to run through arm tackles and he obviously has a speed uh, to embarrass people in the open field. Biggest difference this year is he was making that first cut two yards behind the line of scrimmage consistently. And he was never able to get to full speed. When, by the time he got up to a linebacker, he was never at full speed to be able to put a move on him and keep going. And we saw so much of that last year. And what I saw, too, late in the season against the Huskies, you know, up in Seattle, is it was almost like a lack of trust at times. When, you know, they, they love to run power, where they pull that left guard or right guard around and insert him up in the hole and becomes a lead blocker for Bryce. And Bryce was sometimes either getting there a little slower than he normally would or he was, like, right on the heels of that guard and the, and the play wouldn't develop. And those are things that tend to happen when they just don't have the rhythm and the trust um, up front. And, it, you know, not, not to say trust, no trust, like it's a real negative thing. It's sometimes that stuff is subconscious, that you really trust that a guy's going to be there to make a block for you and whatnot. So that's one thing. The other thing that I still want to see Bryce develop as, because I'll tell you this, Troy, I, I think the, the best version of Bryce Love in the NFL, the, the highest ceiling, and it's a high ceiling, is Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara from the New Orleans Saints is a tremendous football player, but there, there are flashes there in my mind of Bryce. Now, what I think we need to see from Bryce more consistently, if, if I'm drafting him, is I still need to see that side of him that I know he can get outside of the backfield and make plays in the receiving game. Kamara's outstanding at that. That's, that's one big component of his game. And I think Bryce has that ability, but just because of health and, and inability to get him going on the ground this year, I just don't think we've seen a ton of it. And unfortunately, I think that'll hit him as he gets to you know, the NFL draft and you start projecting where he's going to go. But I do think that's something that can, can develop at the next level. And if Bryce hits his ultimate ceiling one day, I think we're watching a guy like Alvin Kamara play in the NFL. And those might be things that we might see him emphasize during his pro day and in his workouts uh, leading up to the draft next spring. Spending some time with Pac-12 Network football analyst Evan Moore. And let's start talking about uh, this Saturday and what we could possibly see against the California Golden Bears. And I was just, I was just talking a few minutes ago on the show about, you know, looking at things. And I still feel this way because I felt this way a couple weeks ago. And I don't think anything that has changed. I don't think I don't think enough has changed over the last couple of weeks to make me change my mind here. But I still don't know how Cal can score. Yeah. But with Stanford <laughs> as depleted as they are defensively and allowing UCLA to score forty two on them. I, I'm not ruling out, you know, some things that the Bears might be able to do uh, on the scoreboard that they, for the most part, haven't been able to do uh, for much of this season. And, and it, it, I mean, how worried should I be about Cal offensively squaring up against this Stanford defense that that's going that, that, that they're going to bring to Berkeley this week? Yeah, it's a fair question. I mean, this Cal team is a team that beat the Huskies at home without scoring an offensive touchdown. And, you know, they, their biggest issue midseason was not only were they not scoring, they were turning it over a ton. You know, with Brandon McIlwain, I think all of us were left asking, like, why does, I see the athleticism, but why does Justin Wilcox continue to play him? And I think that he, he finally has, has gotten off that train, and he's focused more on Garbers and, and trying to develop some consistency with Chase Garber. So, um, you know, can Patrick Laird get, get going against this defense? I think so. I think probably more so than we've seen at other times this year for the Cal offense. And keep in mind, too, as a rivalry game, they'll probably have a couple things up their sleeve as well. That if, if, if those can hit, then it's really going to help their offense move the ball. My biggest concern in this game is not whether or not Stanford can hold them to, you know, seven offensive points. 
it's whether or not Stanford can consistently score points as well. Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell you what, like beyond, you know, Washington's a really good defense. Utah's a great defense. Cal is up there with those teams and their ability with those two linebackers, you know, Kanashik and Evan Weaver, those guys are outstanding football players and their ability to consistently stop the run. And also kind of what I noticed Justin Wilcox likes to do is what I, what I call simulated pressures where he'll only bring four, but he'll appear, he'll make it appear to the opposing quarterback as if he's bringing more than four because he's varying where that fourth rusher comes from. And so at first glance, if you're a quarterback, it, it appears like you're getting five or six and you, you kind of speed things up and make a mistake. That's why he's been so successful against Gardner Minshew um, and, and the air raid offense over the last couple of years when they play Washington State is he tends to just find ways to confuse quarterbacks without compromising his really disciplined zone coverages on the back end. And that, that concerns me with K.J. Costello. K.J. is a good player, but these are the kind of matchups I think that Justin Wilcox really enjoys because he can come after a quarterback and really throw different looks at him and try to confuse him. So if Stanford's un, unable to run the ball against that front, um, I also think they're going to have a tough time throwing it as well. I don't think it's going to be – Cal's pass defense is, is really good for a reason. They, they're designed, they have a great scheme, and they also have really good athletes on the back end, you know, led by obviously Ashton Davis last week, made a couple of really nice plays. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of really, really intriguing things to watch in this game. And, and to your point, um, Stanford's best chance, obviously, is that they can just keep Cal off the scoreboard. Because I think they'll struggle to score, but if they can keep Cal you know, under 17 points, then – you know, I think it obviously favors Stanford. It still amazes me that we're talking about a Cal Golden Bear squad that is led yeah. by a defense that actually hits and tackles people. It, it, it's still kind of jarring to watch, given some well, of the, some of the only a couple, only a couple years, only a couple years removed from yeah. an era, an era that was led by you know Sonny Dykes and chucking it around, and defense was never even taken seriously in that mm-hmm. building. Yeah, so, amazing, amazing, amazing yeah. to think of. Also amazing to think of this. You, you and I have obviously talked about the 2007 game against USC on, on numerous occasions, and your role in it, and the, and the role that 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 game had in, in in setting the table for what's what we've seen since for Stanford football. But I, I think a lot of people forget that Stanford. Also upset Cal that year, beating Cal and taking the axe back in 2007. Oh, that probably maybe in, in some way or shape or form, also everybody is important in some ways for, for, for Stanford that season. What do you remember from knocking off Cal back in 2007? Well, that was on the heels of, a, of, a, of an interesting year. You know, we had a couple, obviously that was the year the SC win as well down at the Coliseum. And so we had had some of those momentum type wins where you could start to feel the culture of the program turning and now you get to the end of the season when we finish with Cal and you know you realize okay at that time we were at three wins right Cal was our fourth win that year it was the last game of the year and I believe it was the last game uh, we may have played Notre Dame after that now that I think about it but yep. I don't recall but either way we had three wins because we lost to Notre Dame and you realize we're not going to a bowl but at the same time you know our senior class felt like hey we've yet to win a game against Cal you know we had gotten beat up pretty good against them especially my sophomore and junior year and so a chance to, to close this thing out on a, on a high note for us at Stanford Stadium and also, you know, continue to – we felt like we were continuing to just at least assist in setting things up for the future, and we kind of know how all that played out. But um, I remember coming into that game, you know, they had, some, they had some playmakers now. Like, you know, obviously Deshaun Jackson was there, and he, he elected not to play in the game. I, I remember it was almost his choice. Like, he had said he was hurt, and a lot of people thought he was kind of sitting out because – he was worried about the NFL draft and whatnot. He wasn't happy with, I, b- I believe, Jeff Tedford, Jeff Tedford was still there. So I remember it vividly. And, and afterwards, um, getting a chance with, with our fellow seniors to hold that ax up for the first time. And I'll never forget when I finally got my hands on it and put it up in the air. <laughs> I mean, my, my parents were down on the field and everything. It was a really cool scene. And 
I never forget how heavy it was, you know, and, and, and you sh- it shouldn't take you till your senior year to realize how heavy that dang thing is. But that was my reaction it is, man, this thing is heavy. And it, I'm, it's pathetic that I have to wait till now to figure that out. But if that's my lasting memory, man, I'll take it. It was, now, it was a special night. Now, now, is it the thing where only the seniors can lift and hold the axe or, or, or can anyone hold it during the course of, 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 of the post game oh, festivities? Anyone can hold it now. Okay. But the thing to remember is the committee, the Stanford axe committee, is has that thing chained to a right. belt. Yep. So yeah, you. I mean, I, I think they're they're you know obviously the team is okay with anyone throwing it up there. Obviously, the seniors get priority on it, and then you know that it just has to be within close proximity to those people because you can't you know they're not going to let you pass it around and run away with it. It's, it's strapped <laughs> to them so they don't lose it. You know. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Having it passed around and uh, people running around with it, that kind of caused some problems back in the day for yeah. the yeah. Well, obviously it's dangerous, first of all. Yeah. And heavy. And then secondly, you know, they don't want to lose that. Oh, that thing could disappear real quickly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Evan, as we wrap this up here, we do still have another football game in Pac-12 play this week. And it is, of course... The Pac-12 championship happening Friday evening at Levi Stadium. The Pac-12 North champion Washington Huskies and the Pac-12 South champion Utah Utes. Utah finally in this game for the first time in its program history. You just got done seeing the Utes up close and in person last week in a, in a fantastic performance for them. How do, you think, how do you see things shaping up between the Utes and the Huskies this time around? Does the Utes try to get some revenge? Yeah, I think it's going to be another good one, Troy. I really do. I mean, you go back to the first time they met, and it was, I believe, 21-7 in Salt Lake back in uh, September. And for this Utah team, for for this to be, I mean, it's just unbelievable how college football works. For this to be the year that they get their first South championship since joining the conference um, is amazing. Because, you know, after those two Washington, you know, they lost to Washington and Washington State um, earlier in the season, you know, it appeared like they probably would not be contenders in the South based off how things were trending. And then you fast forward, you know, they hit stride against Stanford and they, they started playing really good ball. And then they lose their quarterback and their running back. You know, Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss, to, I think those two guys accounted for 85% of their offense. And then you think, okay, now they're for sure done. You know, they, they have made a nice recovery after those two losses, but now they're for sure done. And here we are. You know, and a lot of that is, is due to, you know, crazy parity in the South. But the rest of it is is just what Kyle Whittingham has done there and, and the culture he's created. And it, it finally has come full circle. And they've, they've been the most consistent team in the South from a one-count standpoint in conference. They've just been the only team that hasn't won the South. And so they've, they've certainly earned it. And here, and here we are, a great matchup. You know, I, I love what Utah does defensively, getting a chance to watch them last week. I think Chase Hansen is probably the best defensive player in the entire conference. He is just an outstanding, instinctive football player. And then I look at Washington, and, and obviously another really good defensive team. They don't get much pass rush like they used to. So I think it's going to come down to, given both teams are very good on defense, both teams are very good against the run, I think it's going to come down to who, can, who what defense can really make that other team one-dimensional. And my concern for the Utah passing game, I, I think there's talent with Jason Shelley, but this is only his fourth start. And I don't see a ton of, of, of willingness on their end from a coaching staff standpoint and on his end in the pocket to really push that thing down the field beyond the Colorado game. And that was out of necessity because they couldn't seem to get the run game going. So that may happen again this week, but, but uh, Shelley's going to have to hit some down-the-field throws to loosen up that Washington defense and, and give this team a chance. And I think that's ultimately the, what's going to decide the game, is whether they can force Utah, um, if they can shut down that run game and also shut down that passing game. Because I think Washington has just enough offense mm-hmm. to overcome – 
Utah's defense in the end if Utah can't move the ball. Should be interesting to watch. And as, as much fun as those whiz-bang, high-flying, air-raid offenses are to watch, it's also kind of good to see you know two, uh, two, uh, two squads that like to get at oh, yeah. it and be physical uh, squaring off for a championship. Oh, Always yeah. fun to catch up with the one and only Evan Moore here on the TreeCast and everywhere else. You see him on the Pac-12 Network and on FS1 as well. Evan, always appreciate the time. Can't wait for our next chance to cross paths. We'll talk again soon. Thanks a bunch. Anytime, Troy. Thanks for having me on. Our thanks again to Evan Moore for joining us on the show. And uh, looking forward to to the big game once again. And a couple of things that, that I'm going to be watching from the sidelines is, once again, it'll be my, my pleasure and privilege to roam the sidelines for the Stanford Football Radio Network while John Platts is with Stanford Men's Basketball in Kansas, Cardinal versus the Jayhawks. So a direct overlap there. I believe that, that tip-off's at 2 p.m. while we kick off in Berkeley at noon. But some things I'm going to be watching. Um, we, we talked earlier about how or at least I mentioned how I'm not necessarily concerned about Stanford finding a way against Cal's defense. Now, that being said, Cal still plays very, very well defensively. They get after it, man, led by those inside linebackers and in, in, in Weaver and Kanashik who have had outstanding seasons. And their secondary has been, been a big play secondary of late as well. Can those guys, can that secondary match up with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside? With Caden Smith, assuming he's ready enough to go for Stanford in this one, and Colby Parkinson. Interesting to note, Cal's safeties have the size, 6'1", 6'2". Corners, not necessarily, 5'9", 5'10". So how will the Bears use those safeties to help defend Stanford's big receiving targets, Narsega Whiteside, Smith, and Parkinson. That I think is going to be one, certainly one thing I'm going to be watching with the Stanford offense. I, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how big of a factor the running game is going to be just because those inside linebackers just so quick. They, they pursue so well laterally and they get to, they get to all points on the field. So I'm not exactly sure how much of, of, of a factor the Stanford running game is necessarily going to be. Uh, against Cal this time around. Obviously, I'd like to see it be a big factor, as it has been in years past. That would be nice. And one quick little statistic that's going to blow your mind. If Stanford gets the big game win, not only will it be their ninth straight over Cal, it will give Stanford the sweep over Cal, UCLA, and USC, For the third time in four seasons, just for some perspective on that, Cal has not beaten Stanford, UCLA, and USC in the same season since 1958. They haven't beaten Stanford, USC, and Cal, or Stanford, USC, and UCLA in the same season in 60 years. And it's obviously not going to happen this year either. Thanks to UCLA spanking the Bears back in October 37 to 7. So that streak is going to continue for one more year. But one streak that had better continue is Stanford's win streak over California. Sitting at eight right now, Stanford will try to make it nine in a row, a noon kickoff 
on the Pac-12 network. Looking forward to being in the building myself for that. You've got thoughts on this show and on Stanford football. Of course, I always welcome them. Hashtag TreeCast on Twitter. Hashtag TreeCast. The best way to talk Stanford football with me and to make sure that I see it anyway. Hashtag TreeCast is the way to go. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Troy Clarity. Last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity for the follow on Twitter. Looking forward to closing out my Pac-12 Network soccer season. They just keep adding games, and I'm not mad at that at all. Thanks to Stanford Men's Soccer, as Stanford Men's Soccer hosts Akron in the right to go to the College Cup. I'll be on the call for that 6 p.m. on Friday evening on the Pac-12 Network. So if you're not necessarily in the mood to watch the Pac-12 championship game because it doesn't involve Stanford, hey, that's cool. We got you covered. Stanford Akron Men's Soccer on the Pac-12 Network. Looking forward to calling that. Uh, with Christopher Sullivan, and that will finally close out my Pac-12 Network soccer season. It's been fun. Meanwhile, Saturday will close out the regular season uh, for Stanford football. Stanford, of course, at seven and four. Cal also at seven and four as well. Who can go to eight and four and go into the bowl season with momentum? Looking forward to finding out. Should be a lot of fun. Thanks to our guests, Stanford linebacker Joey Alfieri and Pac-12 Network, and Fox Sports college football analyst Evan Moore. Thanks, of course, most to you for joining us, for listening, for supporting the show, for for subscribing, rating, reviewing, for following me on Twitter. Thanks to you. You you, You make these shows go, and I certainly appreciate you being a part of them. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. That's all that needs to be said there. And we will likely talk to you on Monday. We're going to hold off, not post on Sunday. We're going to post on Monday because by then we will know where Stanford's bowl destination will be. And, of course, we'll bring you interviews from the Stanford locker room after big game is done. So talk to you Monday. Enjoy the weekend. And thank you again for joining us on the TreeCast with Troy Clarence.